Hello there. Welcome to this episode of Forest Ghost Conversations. This is your host, Anthony King, and this week, along with Mrs. Forest Ghost Conversations herself, Elise King, we are going to discuss our recent experience re-watching Rogue One, a Star Wars story in IMAX. Before we get started, I'm inviting you to join the conversation with us. We can be found on Twitter, at Forest Ghost Pod. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok just by searching Force Ghost Conversations. Look forward to connecting with you on those platforms. Also, please be sure to rate, subscribe, and review the podcast on your listening site of choice. Finally, please be sure to check out our Tee Public store to buy some Force Ghost Conversations merchandise. And without further ado, it's time to gather around the campfire for some Force Ghost Conversations. All right, everyone, welcome back to Force Ghost Conversations. And as alluded in the preamble, this episode is going to be all about Mrs. Force Ghost Conversations and I's experience re-watching Rogue One, a Star Wars story in IMAX. Now, before we get into all that discussion, it's time to talk about some news that took place in the Star Wars galaxy this past week in our affectionately dubbed segment, Cloud City Gossip. So I will say this is also a lighter news week this week, but, you know, there's a lot of great stuff coming around the corner. Andor is just on the way. So I'm sure there's going to be a ton more coming up, especially with D23 also uh, in the in the coming up very soon. So get ready for all that. Anywho, first, like I mentioned, we're going to talk about it today on today's episode. But, you know, there, I'm sure there's some places still showing it. Rogue One, a Star Wars story re-released into several IMAX theaters across the United States this past weekend. I hope that you were able to get tickets and got to see some of the special first look images and footage at Andor that accompanied the film. Also, we got news this week that Obi-Wan Kenobi, A Jedi's Return, will stream on Disney Plus on September 8th. This special is a behind-the-scenes documentary examining the filming of the recent Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Now, The documentary will premiere alongside other titles in celebration of Disney Plus Day. A brief trailer can also be found online right now, which is excellent. I posted some pictures of stills from that trailer to our social media channels, particularly Instagram and Twitter. So get ready. We are so excited to talk about that when it does come out later in September. And with all that, everybody, we will be back on the other side of this break with our discussion about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Stay tuned. Okay, everyone, welcome back to Force Ghost Conversations. And finally, we are here at our discussion of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and our experience re-watching the film in IMAX theaters. Now, before we get into all that, I have to introduce our special guest today. You all know her at home, hopefully, because she's been on the past couple of few episodes here. But we are so thrilled to welcome back Mrs. Force Ghost Conversations herself. Hello! Elise King, welcome! <laughs> Am I a special guest if I keep showing up? You're always special. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> you may be a recurring host at this point. <laughs> I think on the one site that uh, we are listed on, I'm not sure exactly what exactly it's called. I think it's like Star Wars Podcast Database or something like that. Like they had me put any recurring hosts or like 
consistent guests and I put you and Mercedes because you two are the most frequent guests on this show. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to put that on my LinkedIn profile now. You should. It's a great, you know, just adds to the resume, just a little, little like eight point font. So it's, yeah, it doesn't take up too now. much space, but it adds a little bit of color and flair to the to the interview when they're like, what is this? Like, oh, well, let me tell you all about it. I can do public speaking. I can do all that as evidenced in these episodes. <laughs> All right, I'll see if that ever, if that opportunity. Yeah, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Yeah, who knows? Well, anywho, thank you for coming back on the show. It was kind of like when we were heading into seeing Rogue One last night, we were kind of like, I guess we should talk about this. (laughs) Well, considering that we've seen it before, you many times, and we we walk out of the theater and we're like, oh, there's so much to like digest and X, Y. It's like, oh, it's probably worth an episode. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And what I really want to frame this around is I want to hear a lot about your experiences with this film and what it means to you overall. So I've got a series of questions here about uh, your thoughts and all that. So spoilers for those at home, if you have not seen Rogue <laughs> One, a Star Wars story. What uh, are you doing? What are you doing? Go pause this episode now and go watch it on Disney+. Plus. We also, as a treat, because we saw it in the IMAX format in the re-release, we also got to see some of the special first look footage at Andor, which I have some questions about later on. Which, woo! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So we'll, we'll give a separate spoiler when we get to that point Definition in time. Quality, so let me tell you. Get, get, get hyped for that. We got, we got some things to say. So anywho, Elise, I want to know about your first viewing of this movie. I, what were your thoughts when you watched Rogue One for the first time? How did it hit you? Can you remind me what year it came out? 2016. So you were you were in France, so you may not have, it may not have been immediately right away that you saw it. <laughs> Man, what a journey. Um, <laughs> I I feel like I saw it in theaters. I think at that point in my Star Wars journey, I was going to see any movie that came out in theaters. I had liked the prequels growing up. So I was like, okay, I'm going to see what they keep producing. So I feel like it was one of those rare moments I spent euros to go see. And because I remember on the big screen Mm -hmm. and I remember being like, oh no, I love all these characters and they're tragic. (laughs) That's not good for me. That's not good. (laughs) It's not good, but like you fed off of it in a way. Yeah, it has all the tropes and themes I love and all the fantasy books yeah. and science fiction books I read. And I was like, this doesn't go well in the book, so why would it go well uh, in this movie? And yet you've read that same book six times. Uh, yeah, well, it's a good one. You know, I keep going back to it. <laughs> it's worth the suffering. I know the page that they pass on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, very fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. What is, like, what... So for those at home, we saw E.T. in IMAX two weeks ago at this point. Yeah. We were planning to go see Jaws next week in IMAX. And now I am going to go see Jaws in IMAX next week by myself because you had the choice of seeing either Rogue One or Jaws in IMAX. I was going to see all of them to begin with. What was it about Rogue One that made you want to see it in the IMAX format? Um, what was what was so appealing about that? Well, first of all, the scale, the scale of the story and the battles um, above and on Scarif, I think, mm-hmm. is cool just from a cinematic yeah. 
like cinematography point of view. And also just, I remember being in the theater the first time I watched it and I was like, this is a perfect story. Like, I love the idea that you zero in on a moment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of something that's existed for a long time and you start unraveling it and working backwards and saying what had to happen for Leia to have those plans in her hand. Mm-hmm. And it's such a watershed moment, I think. And it was worthy of a story. And so I just love seeing good stories. I think I told you last night, like, I think it's a perfect story of doing less is more Yeah. in this one with writing, acting, all of it. Like it, it's so grounded and it's such a compelling story and it's perfectly encapsulated into what it is that you just want to return. Like, it seems like a fresh story every time. Except that's how well it's told. Yeah. I 100% agree with you on all of the, like the cinematography aspects of this film. That's really what stands out to me in seeing it in this format. Was that the number one thing you were thinking of when you were like, yes, IMAX? Yes. Um, I will say something that really stood out to me again yesterday is that there are several sequences in this film where they're, I, I imagine that they were all very much so shot on location. Like, there's clearly Iceland at the beginning of the movie with the Galen sequence. Clearly, it's like Jordan for the Jetta sequences. And then it's obviously we know it's the Maldives for Scarif, right? So it's just like you get a very vast color palette with all those different locations and sceneries Mm -hmm. that it's like, first off, they're fresh and unique to Star Wars, particularly Iceland and the Maldives, right? So it makes it feel more of a lived in galaxy. But just like that, that the way that the colors pop on screen is just so cool. The blue of the Maldives and yeah. then the black that, that, sand. The water and the black sand. You're right. That's it. You know, it's interesting you say that because I was <clears throat> watching yesterday and I was like, I can't believe this exists on Earth. Like there mm-hmm. are places on mm-hmm. Earth that make us believe in our human imaginations that this, like it's alien enough, yeah. right? Like there yeah. are places where you're like, this definitely can't be just in our backyards. Mm-hmm. But for some people, I mean, you can argue that in the United States as well, but um, it's it's a drive away. Totally. totally. I was just like, wow, Earth's wild. <laughs> it really is. I mean, <laughs> we, we put on nature documentaries at home every now and then and just like, wow, okay, that's a couple hours away. <laughs> and it's inspiring artists and, and movie yeah. makers and, and all these people to create worlds that don't exist, but they're grounded in something that does exist, but it's still so wild. You know, you talked to just a second ago about the nature of the story of Rogue One being appealing on its own as opposed to just the visuals of itself. And that's fascinating because this is a it's a tip of the iceberg moment in A New Hope, right? It's a world building moment in the crawl itself where it says spies have stolen the Death Star plans, right? Let's mm-hmm. say like, like a two sentence, three sentence, you know, line or phrase yeah. that inspires an entire movie. And now, six years after this movie comes out, one character inspires a whole another spin-off series, right? It's just, mm-hmm. it's a prime example of the world building and tip of the iceberg storytelling that George Lucas was a big fan of back in the day. What do yeah. you, do you have any more things to say on that? I mean, you had a great in like summary. I think, you know, we've been watching a lot of ILM documentaries and like making of movie, making of TV show things. And I think... 
no matter what all the pomp and circumstance is to tell the story, the story has to matter. And really good storytellers can pinpoint which questions are the most provoking. Mm -hmm. And maybe this is just me because I was a history buff, but you go back and you hear stories mm -hmm. and you're just like, how the heck did that happen? Mm -hmm. Right. And so mm -hmm. for me, you see the stars stole the death, like or the, the, what, the rebels, <laughs> rebel spies stole <laughs> the star. Spies stole the death star plans. Well, you know, the empire didn't give that up easily. So yeah. exactly what does that look like? Um, I think these filmmakers did such a good job because they asked the right question. Mm -hmm. They looked at a whole movie. I mean, you could probably pull out little threads of all those that movie in like a million different places, but they picked the right one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Good stuff. Because we saw this on such a big screen than where you to usually have seen it in the last six years. Yeah. Did you notice anything during this watch that you normally don't catch? I know you did. I know I did, so I'm just <laughs> wanting to ask you if you had one first. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I saw little things here and there. I'm, I have a much more discerning eye for incontinuity between scenes, so mm. I, but I, I, I could easily let that go. Um, I think for me, it was just the scale. Like, I forgot how big that fight is in the, in the sky. Oh, above yeah. Scarab. Oh, yeah. That's great. That may be one of the best space battles in all of yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, just, I just remember seeing there. I'm like, I know the story, and I'm still so impressed by it. Like, the action sequences yeah. and... The nostalgia they weave into it um, mm, that really mm. makes you like get the same feelings as when Luke's piloting. It is, yeah. And it's like a modern like, version of of the Death Star third back battle sequence, right? Just yeah. like better, obviously better very, <laughs> technology, better dogfighting abilities, and all that. <laughs> and just like very reminiscent of World War II, mm -hmm. um, you know, seeing that. So I, I just think it was the scale. The scale really hit me this time, and yeah. I was like. I want to see every movie. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's, it's the way to see a movie. That's yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I know you have one. Yeah. So the one that really stood out for me that I've actually never caught, even because I will say my first experience watching this movie was an IMAX 3D in 2016. Oh, 3D. It was IMAX 3D. Yeah. So was it was, ED, was, ED, was 3D cool. Oh yeah. It was great. Cause okay. I, I love, um, the 3D format since the age of Avatar is not necessarily things poking out at you. It's depth perception. Yeah. Which yeah, is I've something that, that I really like. So one of the things that really stands out to me from seeing something in 3D is the first sequence of uh, The Force Awakens, where it's the um, when they're attacking on Jakku, like they're sending down this yeah. like fleet of ships to find that village or whatever. And, uh, like this, the whole perspective of all the ships in the sky is really interesting for, okay. for, for depth sake. Like it, it has a new added dimension that you don't really get. <laughs> okay. I've never like fallen in love with anything I've seen 3d. So, but maybe it's, maybe it's also kind of gone way by the wayside too. It's not really a popular format anymore. No yeah. one, they don't really release films in it. That, that often anymore so so what did you see in this time that you didn't see last anywho time? the um the sequence where Jin is in her little like bunker thing after her mother and her mother passed and her father was taken away her being in that little tunnel 
and trying to shake up the light on when that light finally turns on you can see like a tear strolling down her cheek and i thought wow she's really feeling abandoned she's feeling alone she's feeling confused like her whole world has just been uprooted from her she just saw her mom die she just saw her mom die i think she's like six or seven at this point so like it's not great and then it's really a theme of this movie it's like as soon as things get their bleakest and darkest the light turns on and there's hope right that's yeah. that's very much a consistent theme without throughout the movie but just that added little detail really adds a lot i think yeah it's fun to see those little things mm -hmm. um all the facial expressions that you don't get a chance to see when you're like constantly zooming around the whole screen so yeah that was fun well speaking of sad moments <laughs> you, You've you mean, said you mean from start to finish? You, all of them? Yeah, yeah. You've said to me before that like Chirrut Imwa is like your favorite character in this movie. Um, does that still hold true? What are your favorite moments with him in this movie? Chirrut. Um I don't know. He's just such an impressive character. I've always loved the dichotomy and dynamics of like a warrior monk and to be honest, I think where the Jedi are when we see them in the prequels, like that does they that is gone. They're mm -hmm. warriors, mm -hmm. period. Or political advisors. They're political, yeah. They're more politically involved than in what they should the, be. The, the monk part is gone, which I think adds like such a value. And so to see I don't know, I remember asking you, I was like, are they Jedi? And you're like, no, they're guardians of a sacred space. And to me, that made it even more impressive because his mm -hmm. faith is completely. They're guardians of faith. <laughs> yeah. And to have his companion be someone who has lost his faith. And um, when it seemed like he used to be the one of the ones who was the most, I think that base. Mm, yeah, base Malvis. Yeah. Like he was one of probably the most stalwart. And now we have this character who probably like found his hero moment, his main character moment in such destruction and sadness. And to see someone really use the force and be one with the force in such an amazing way and not be a Jedi, I think mm -hmm. is such a powerful mm -hmm. message. Also just, um, it's just very impressive in a world devoid of hope and many times to, to see someone with faith. Mm -hmm. I think nowadays in real life and in, in Star Wars or any other fictional character, it's just very compelling to me in general. So um, I think I was talking, there was someone on Twitter who was like, oh, it was K2 and then it was Chirrut and Maze. And I was like, me too. I mean, how do you not love K2? Yeah, yeah. But then as I've gotten older, I've realized how hard it is to be someone like Chirrut. But he, he, he understood the force better than Jedi did. It helps when you're literally guarding at the, the the temple of the force itself. So, yeah, I mean, but I think it just shows his character. Yeah, yeah, he never he was never corrupted by outside things too, in a way. Also, I think based off the trauma they went through, like all they lost, I think they had their complete right to turn their back on that world mm -hmm. and to mm -hmm. leave, and and but they didn't. That's interesting. Jared also has something uh, I would say is like a. a he's an honesty about him right he, mm -hmm. he he's not afraid to tell people exactly what they need to hear in that moment even if it's not what they need to hear for example i think of cassian being in the in the cage and he's like i sense you like you have a 
your your cage is within your mind like you're trapped by your own mind or you you carry your cage with you yeah yeah yeah, i sense yours is is more of a metaphysical (laughs) i mean i think being blind on some level you have there's no time for Mm -hmm. bs (laughs) or it's like does he have the face of a killer no he's the face of a friend hmm interesting (laughs) i mean yeah there's it's it's definitely a spiritual character um always makes me cry also just the admiration and companionship between him and, and Baze is yeah. also so compelling. And I love at the end when they both die, um, Baze takes up the same mantra as Chura, but he inverses it. Yeah. And it's yeah. like taking that faith and, and owning it again and, and stepping back into it, but in his own way, not just mimicking whatever Chura said, which I think is also very compelling. And just being okay with what happens. Like, He's at peace with, he knows that he might not make it, but he's going to go out the way he can. <laughs> yeah, there's power in surrender. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. surrendered they, and... They both did, but they went out in the way that they... I was thinking last night when Chara dies, after he pulls the lever for the communications tower, or the, yeah, um, for the ship, that the force got him where he needed to be. It didn't guarantee mm-hmm. his safety. All is as the force wills it. Yeah, yep. <laughs> so I was just kind of like... It was just a good, it's a good life lesson always. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of, it's a very inspirational movie. And, and those are two characters that I think ground that, that fantastic yeah. story in reality. Yeah, absolutely agreed. So I want to talk about some themes of the movie here. Okay. There, to me, and I picked up on this definitely a lot last night. I was thinking about it through, through and through. There are constant themes of hope and trust versus ambition and selfishness. Mm-hmm. What can we learn about these concepts from the examples set forth in the movie? <laughs> this is like a five paragraph. It really is. Question. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting because Cassian, I think, starts at the beginning. And although he's in dedication to a cause, there is a selfishness in him. Mm, interesting. At least to me. I mean, now... It's hard because now we know more of his backstory, even through trailers. But like, when you first see him at the front, at the top of the film for me, I'm like, okay, he's a rebel, but he's not a good guy. Hmm. Like, Mm. to me, he's ambitious. Wow. Interesting. I didn't even think of Cassian at all when, when I put this together. Yeah. And so for me, like, for him to... I don't know. I feel like he put that aside... And you could argue, like, what he's had to do. I mean, I think there's a whole bigger argument there of, like, what he's had to do. It wasn't selfishness or ambition. It was what he just had to do to get the information to survive. But there's always a cost, right? And yeah. every rebel alliance in any story, there's always there's always that question of what lines do we cross, what don't we? I think we see that in Clone Wars. We see that with Saul Guerrero's story. Sure, yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I saw a selfishness in Cassian. I saw a selfishness in Jin, right? She, oh, yeah. She definitely has that, too. But. It's not a problem if you don't look up. <laughs> but they kind of release ambitions or, or self-serving moments to come together and complete this very important task at the mm. end. So they're, they're two more, like, murky gray characters that none of them are, like, in terms of like morality and in terms of right and wrong, they're not heroes. Mm. They're, they're serving mm. a greater cause, but at what cost? But then, I mean, at the end they are, so that's a journey for them. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And then there's I'm, also that, that jerk face, um, that jerk face. wearing 
Director Krennic. Director Krennic. Orson Krennic. He <laughs> was very, very much ambitious and selfish. Yeah, yeah. I mean... With no redeeming. He's like um, Wormtail. He's like one of those characters where you're just like, you feel so good hating. Like, even Vader, you're like, oh, man. There's still a sad boy under there. There's still a sad boy <laughs> underneath that helmet. But Krennic, man, you're like... Or even um, Thrawn, you, you kind of respect him because he's such a genius. But mm -hmm, Krennic, mm -hmm. dang, I just love to hate you. Yeah, Krennic is that guy at the office that has somehow worked his way up the ladder, exploiting others along the way. <sighs> Every step of the way. And has somehow gotten his correction, like achievements for things maybe that weren't on his task list. <laughs> he would have survived in like a Mad Men era very well. He certainly has. He's definitely that type of villain, if yeah. you will. Yeah, I'm glad that you took it from the singular character perspective and how these themes may apply to them. I'm certainly, I mean, oh, it's definitely there. It? I just, I saw it more as like grandiose, right? So the hope and trust are tenets of the rebellion, whereas ambition and selfishness are tenets of the empire. And that's why the rebels are able to win in this movie versus why the empire is not... They, they lose the plans, right? Everything goes wrong for the Empire every step of the way because all, all we see, event, I mean, granted, it takes time for the team to build trust. And, you know, hope is kind of there to begin with at various points, but they all kind of get together on the same hope. But it's this camaraderie that they build with each other and this trust. Trust goes both ways, right? They're, they develop this over the course of the movie, whereas Krennic and Tarson, or sorry, Tar <laughs> who am I? <laughs> Krennic and Tarkin do not share trust with each other whatsoever. There's literally no one in the Empire that trusts each other. They literally is, are built on a, on a dishonesty, hatred of each other, and they're all trying to get to the same two jobs at the top, right? They're, everyone is pushing for that. Everyone's pushing for the highest echelon jobs, mm -hmm. and they're all selfish about it. No one's helping another person. No one's saying like, great, I'll lay down the wire while you can jump on my back, right? There's no scrappiness to the empire whatsoever. It's all, all right, let's do a test of the weapon. Let's get out of here, right? I take a stand here amongst my achievements, not yours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a system built on power and fear and any ambition, any self-serving action is actually rewarded. Yeah, yeah. Um. I mean, that's, it's, it's always interesting to see those moments play out with the Empire just because it's always fun to see bad people on screen. I don't know yeah, why. That's true. But at the same side, I think the more interesting thing is dynamics of the Rebels because it really does come down to individuals in the story. Mm -hmm. Like, let's not forget the Rebel leaders were ready to just let it go. Well, at least half of them. There was. And, I say the, the rebellion is finished. But even the other half were willing as well until individuals who had mm -hmm. let go and had decided to trust each other. They go for it. They go for it. Like um, the woman in white who's in the new. Mon Mothma, yeah. Mon Mothma, she wasn't going to do anything. We need the full approval of the council before. Yeah, Akbar wasn't going to. I mean, all of them were willing. That's not Akbar. That's Radis. Oh, Radis. That's right. Um. <laughs> I say we fight. <laughs> yeah, like, I just, it was nice just to remember that, like, the rebels aren't perfect people. Yeah, by all, by all means. I and mean, Saul Guerrero was once yeah. a part of them split out. <laughs> and even these people who had determined Saul Guerrero was too much, 
also had failings. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. we see it. I think it's a good tradition of Star Wars. Like Han wouldn't be considered a typical hero. Then he becomes a general. No, and then Luke becomes a villain eventually for a little. It's good. when you lose yourself, even in in the service of a good cause, is it really serving good mm, at that point? Mm, mm. But it's it, it's a nice it's a great story because they they find they come back and they find their way. Yeah, absolutely. All right, great discussion on that. I really like that. So clearly, <laughs> there is no Rogue Two. Rogue Two is Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Yeah. <laughs> How does this film influence your understanding slash appreciation of Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope? No, it's interesting. I was thinking after when we see the scene where Vader lights up his saber, mm -hmm. and it's just all black and then red, and you're like, "That's powerful." I was like, "I should go back and watch at least the first ten minutes of A New Hope just to see how I." I don't think I've seen A New Hope. I mean, I have, but I don't think I've seen it with the idea of like exactly coming off of. I've been looking through that lens, mm -hmm. like it's coming mm -hmm. off of Rogue One. Mm -hmm. But I think one, it definitely makes me appreciate the rebels in general in Rogue One, because they seem so scrappy and they're in, and, um, or the rebels in A New Hope, because they seem so scrappy. They are, right? yeah. they seem, I think that, um, I don't know, I can't, I don't even think I can look at it. I appreciate and see A New Hope so differently now because of Obi-Wan mm -hmm. Obi mm -hmm. episode mm -hmm. or series because of Rogue One, mm -hmm. because of, rebels with hair you know like there's even all, solo too right yeah even solo like there's so many things that make to me that movie better and more compelling i just think that it adds a gravitas and an appreciation in general mm -hmm. um i don't know luke seems less important in the scheme <laughs> of things when you look at all the other characters who have been fighting for like a decade <laughs> i know he i know he's very important but that's these other character stories are very compelling mm -hmm, to me. Mm -hmm. Great. I get why Leia's, uh, Leia's so sassy to him because <laughs> he's a tiny little baby compared <laughs> to he, what he she's knows, been he through. He knows so little of the world around him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got to get off that farm planet. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Oh Luke. Oh Luke. Well, yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you. I mean, I guess that I've always like double featured it. <laughs> Like yeah. ever since Rogue One came out, I literally went home, put in the, the DVD for A New Hope. Like there was, I never, ever since my first viewing, they've never not been coupled together to me. So. Yeah, I mean, I think the last time I did that was when we watched them all. Mm -hmm. But I was, I think I was just more focused on watching next to you because we were pretty new in our dating history and that I wasn't <laughs> really paying attention that much. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. That's nice. <laughs> Listeners, he's bright red. Yes, he <laughs> is. Yeah, so um, I think at this point it's okay to transition to that Andor footage now that we got. A little special treat. Very nice of them to include that. I mean, Andor is coming up on September 21st. Yeah. So for those at home that didn't get to see this, or if you don't want anything spoiled about Andor, which I know you didn't want to, you didn't necessarily want to see this footage, but it kind of just happened in your lap. I wasn't going to close my eyes and ears for nine <laughs> yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty lengthy. I gave up. 
Um, so if you don't want any of that information coming your way before September 21st, this is the time to pause this episode. Otherwise, thank you for staying. <laughs> um, like I said, we were, you know, we saw, we were treated to that special look. And what, after seeing this, what are you most like looking forward to in Andor? First of all, I just thought the quality of the acting and the writing was so consistent yeah. from yes. what I had remembered from Rogue One. So I was like, yes, I love this writing style. I love this less is more kind of vibe. Um, I also just get really emotional with war scenes in mm. general. Not because mm. like, unfortunately, it's not because people are dying. It's because like people are coming together and like so full heartedly mm. believe and what they're it's a band of brothers yeah point. it's a band of brothers i mean you can argue like do they really believe but that's a whole other thing <laughs> um I, so that vibe that tension that storytelling style is there which i love also i just the stakes are so high they have nothing in any trailer any promotional thing in the scene we saw show that this it wasn't high stakes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and so I think that when people are pushed to a breaking point and such a thing, then we get really great moments. Yeah. Um, so those are like the two general things. And then the two other things are one, the scene we saw, which I don't know how specific you want to get, but get specific. I just, the place in which it takes those two characters talking where there's all those chains and like metal pieces yeah I, I don't remember exactly what they were yeah. i remember seeing in the screen i was like this is a very specific it's like warehouse yeah a like a very specific setting i thought i was like they have it's too interactive for them not to use it and then they start falling to the ground mm -hmm. uh, and it adds such a level of action and tension as well and i was like if they're this specific in their settings and using their surroundings for a warehouse scene where their two characters are talking to each other. What's the rest What's of the, the series? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So I was like, they're using every tool at their disposal, which I find fascinating. And then the, the fourth one is I love political intrigue. Mm -hmm. I can't mm -hmm. wait to see people whispering at fancy parties about the rebellion like that. It, it, so much drama yeah. and glamour. Oh yeah, you're gonna definitely see the like, the Imperial Senate inner workings of it. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see that. <clears throat> what are your things? So, for those at home, we were treated to like a little interview between mm -hmm. uh, Diego Luna and Tony Gilroy. Then we got to see this like mostly talking interaction between Luthen and Cassian Andor. And then it like, it took like a quick second, like cut the, cut the black. And then it came back with like this action sequence that we saw that takes place in the same location. So I don't know if there's anything else in between there that they just cut through to yeah. get to the action. And then it concluded with the recent trailer that just came out a few weeks ago. Yeah. There was a positive and negative to seeing this footage personally yeah the positive was seeing this footage on the big screen <laughs> i know it's it's, so it's also the double-edged sword of wow this is made for the big screen 
And then seeing it in Rogue One later, and you're like, wow, the scale, scope, and size of everything, the grandiose images are all there in this quote-unquote TV show. Yeah. <laughs> right? You can tell that they filmed on location. Like, in this sequence, I could tell at least that they're, it, this wasn't filmed in the volume. Yeah. <laughs> they filmed on set in these different areas of the world. They were on set doing all this stuff. So I could tell on this IMAX screen that this was all... Yeah, that's one thing about the IMAX screen is like you can. I love I love what they do with the volume. I think it's fantastic technology. I'm not usually sitting there and saying like, "Oh, this is in the volume." I can tell, but wow, seeing on location yeah, it on was, IMAX, it was great. you're like, "Ooh, there's a reason you do this." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will say the writing was spectacular. That mm-hmm. scene with with Aunt, with between Cassian and Luthen, the. I mean, I'll, I'll spoil it here because we've already noted that there's spoilers here. Um, Luthen knows about Andor's past, so we're going to learn a lot about that. And he alluded to his father being hanged or, and killed, Andor killed, like he, yeah. he was hanged and killed, I presume, that by the, by the Empire very early on in yeah. his life, it looks like that. So maybe we hear about the, I've been in this fight since I was six years old. This is that. <laughs> yeah, that's the story. That's the story right there. And it's like, great, what do these two connect, like, it's basically Cassian stole something from an Imperial Navy shipyard that Luthen wanted, but he didn't really want. He just wanted to see if he could do it. And you get a lot of these these talking bits from the trailers, right? They're so fat. Uh, you know, uh, they're so impressed with themselves, basically. Um, it's a great line. You, you can walk into anywhere if you have confidence, right? Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you act like you belong, they, you know, you can slip in anywhere, basically. And you basically learn that Luthen is trying to, he's looking for the right person for this job to believe in the cause, to have this hatred for the empire and knows what they can do as a spy. Like he, it was basically like a test for Cassian to see if he would pass it. It wasn't about getting this thing. It was about knowing that this is a person that he can use for the rebellion. Yeah. Which will be an interesting dynamic to play on because who is Luthen? What is his deal? Right. It seems like he has connections. It seems like he's part of the rebellion. It seems like he's seems like he's, he's involved in the Imperial worlds. Senate. He's exactly. He's, he's got a foot in both both uh, both doors. Yeah. Similar to a Mothma at this point, it looks like, and we got that bit of that in trailer. So that was that was a big standout. But really, there was the double edged sword of like, wow, this is really great for TV. This is great for the movie. I would love to see this in a theater, but I will be more than happy to watch it at home on my TV screen yeah. too. But it's just like I will feel a little bit like man, I could see this on a movie and not feel like I'm shortchanged at all. <laughs> Part of me is like, oh, movie theaters should take advantage and they should. Like, find a way to screen. Because right? I remember like going to a bar and watching Game of Thrones on like a blow-up projector or whatever, mm-hmm. and that was fun. And I liked the community aspect, but do you know how many people would go to... A lot of people well, would go to see Andor on the screen. They would. They would. I, I've, I've been saying this for for a couple of years now that like those special event episodes, like the finale season two of Mandalorian should have been in the movie yeah. theater. Uh, Kenobi. I mean, we did get to see Kenobi on a, basically a movie theater screen. Like that was made for the, <laughs> I mean, Matt Damon taught us on TikTok this week, how yeah. much it costs to put things in a theater. It's, it's not, it's not cheap. That's for sure. But, but I'm sure be... the ROI might be there. I would pay. We, we would certainly pay. We paid, let me tell you what we paid fifty bucks to see this movie that we have on, we have at home, both streaming and on Blu-ray. Yeah, it was, worth it. <laughs> it was totally worth it. So, 
No, it makes it makes me excited, and it makes me. I was so excited to just see the quality of storytelling there. Yeah, yeah. Because it Rogue One is one of those weird bringer together movies where like <laughs> people who love Star Wars but they hate different parts of Star Wars, and then they get so mad at each other for hating those parts that they love, and vice yes, versa. So like, yeah. Everyone I've talked to is like, yeah, but Rogue One. Rogue One right? is a very universally loved Star Wars flick. Yeah. Because yeah. I think it's singular. Now, now you open yourself up to more storytelling and there's always mm-hmm. always issues there. But Well, we're I getting more. Wait. We're getting more. And or September 21st. So you've talked about this a lot, but what is the one thing that, that you know, you've mentioned a couple things here that you really liked about this. But what is the one thing that people should expect in and or? when it comes out on September 21st. Three episodes. <laughs> Three episodes! I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, I expect the grittiness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and intensity that you got from Rogue One, I think. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't expect a happy ending. <laughs> well, we know where it ends, so... Yeah, I wouldn't expect... Uh, I, I would expect a lot of characters we like to be sacrificed for the greater good. Just think... At least Cassian won't die in the series. <laughs> in no, the series, yeah. he will not perish. I mean, I'm just waiting for a droid to be so cute and so kind. And oh, so, there, there's and B2 then, EMO. I don't know. B, B2 EMO, as they call him now. I haven't looked. You know me, I've looked. Yeah, I know you avoid the stuff. So. I avoid all the stuff. I don't want to know until I see it. But yeah, I'm expecting to fall in love with the droid and then have them And then have them sacrifice. ripped apart. Yeah. Hopefully K2 comes up in season two. So then you'll know. He That's won't. what I was thinking. I was like, I would love to see how those two came together. So we have a comic. We actually have it in our closet over there oh. that tells that story. But I wonder if they'll retcon it because it's not really great. I don't know. I don't want to read it if it's not great. It's kind of a thing. It's, you know. A final thing it's not I'll stellar, say, let's just say that. A final thing I'll say about Rogue One was it was way more fun seeing the Mustafar scene <laughs> after reading the Vader comics about Ooh, how Mustafar yeah. was created. Well, the castle. The castle, the yeah. castle, yeah, the castle, Mustafar castle. Um, that was really fun. Yeah, you, you, uh, you leaned in close to me and was like, build it right on this place of, of suffering. They tried so many designs to, <laughs> to channel that dark energy. And channel they, the darkness. They finally got Hatred, it. Hatred, let it flow through you. <laughs> also, I know cheese just, I was just like, part of me was like, oh, I wish, I wish Hayden Christensen was in this suit so we could see mm-hmm. that swagger walk oh, that he has. God, he's <laughs> got it. I know, I... I wish to. I'm with you on that same one, Elise. I think it should be Hayden in the outfit, but no. Yeah. I mean, we saw that at Celebration. The the costume and the armor itself is so it's foreboding. Yeah, is so charismatic in a way. And it, it has such a presence. <laughs> it has presence. You are like, Whoa. but <laughs> yeah, Christensen really knows how to do that walk. He studied that. So I know that I'm hoping they talk about this in the Obi-Wan Kenobi doc, but they had like a Vader movement specialist on set Yeah, for that, for the stunt doubles for, for Hayden. But Hayden has that down when, you know, it's him in the suit there. That's something we talked about a lot during even, Obi-Wan. We were Wars animation even before, like they really, I remember that them building that in. Mm-hmm. 
It's all there. It's all there. Love a sad boy. We do. <laughs> we, we, stand, we stand sad boys in this hell. Um, all right. Last question, Elise. After re-watching Rogue One again, on a scale from one to nine, very appropriate for Star Wars, how excited for Andor are you? I'm an eight. You're at an eight. Okay. Only because You're I'm, the last Jedi. <laughs> yeah, I'm like the last Jedi. Only because... I'm more excited for Bad Batch. <laughs> One of these days we'll get a release date, Elise. I'm just more excited about it. I know the storytelling is different. And You're going through withdrawals for Bad Batch, aren't you? It's been over a year. It's like Harry Potter all over again. I'm, I'm used to I'm used to having to wait for things I love. <laughs> all the books that you love and you're like, I have to wait three years for the next one. Yeah, it, nothing can turn out fast enough. I just binged through all five of this series, and now I have to wait. <laughs> yes, it is a painful existence. It I've is. Chosen. It is an experience. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, but no, I'm very excited. Love the story. Love the characters. Love the writing. And you never know who's who could show up in Andor. Yeah, I'm. They're only expanding the world again. Tip of the story, ice. Hey, hey. Tip of the iceberg. Let's speculate irresponsibly here. Oh, irresponsibly. Irresponsibly, yeah. Because okay. I don't. I'm not sure this will happen. But could you imagine? Let let let's put this out there in the ether. Let's manifest. Okay. Okay. What if an older hunter shows up in this? You know, I was thinking about that during. <laughs> and it's Tamora Morrison. I was like, <laughs> I was like, we obviously see Rex is involved in rebel-esque things mm -hmm. how how far back is that like from when order 66 happens to the start of andor how many years so it's about 15 14 14 i'd say and is it happening concurrently with rebels so season one of andor will take place around season one of rebels just about yeah, and then it's they're both leading up to. So Rex could be a season two. Yeah, because I was like, okay, he's older. Because the first season of Andor is year five, year five, five years out before um, Rogue One. Yeah. And then Rebel starts. Season two of Andor will be the la the next four years, yeah. leading literally up to him meeting Tivik on the Ring of Kafrin. Yeah, yeah, and so, and Rebels takes place like four years before. And then Rebels takes place literally at the start of season one takes place at the start of Andor. Yeah. And then that will end probably like a few months or so before Rogue yeah. One. So. so I'm like. Same timeline. Basically. We know Rex is on that, that, that he's an old guy and he's on that. <laughs> he's planet. on Yavin 4. But they've done stuff. I mean, I, I was just like for clones not to be involved. At least in the middle part of the of like the be very very beginnings, to me, doesn't make sense because mm -hmm. they're hunted. They have a lot to lose. That's a whole theme of the Bad Batch, yep. and there's this whole theme of like, are you going to just drift away and be a victim of the system, or are you going to try and find a new place in the world? And oh, to see that in in How Andor cool would, that would be? be so cool. You know, bring back Tim Morrison and. Let him let him do his stuff. Right, they showed a clone in in Obi Wan. They did, so it's it's certainly possible. Just a little cameo, maybe you just in the background. You see that black armor. I mean, even that one scene in Obi Wan, I felt like my heart was bleeding out of my chest. But <laughs> I'll take it. I'll I want anything, any clone I can get. Yeah, 
Yeah. But they have a lot to lose and they're highly skilled. They got and and they can train and they, they these these rebels. They know the insides and outs of you know, I mean I know it's a new system, but at least how they think and et cetera. So I'm just like yep. oh, it'd be so fun, but it's a big commitment to make that happen. Could you imagine seeing Wrecker? Don't even do this to me. No. That's why I'm saying I'm irresponsibly speculating. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, she is stunned here at the a prospects. Girl Omega? Yeah. Oh my God. Okay, I this is it hurts now. It hurts because it could I'm be not... like a 20-year-old Omega. Mm, and then you just see the the background of like a shadow of Wrecker waiting for her in the background as she like. Yeah, with some mantel mix. Yeah. <sighs> this is why we don't do this, Anthony. This <laughs> now I'm hoping. No, I'm expecting it. No, now I just want it. I didn't have a want before. Now I do. But anyway, yeah. And to see any clone would be really cool. It would be great. And thank you so much for coming on this show <laughs> and talking about our experience rewatching Rogue One, A Star Wars Story in IMAX last night. Thank you again for coming on this show, Elise King, Mrs. Force Ghost Conversations. We'll have you on in a couple episodes in the next couple of weeks as we wrap up our light and magic coverage heading up yeah. into Andor. Looking forward to it. And uh, that's it for, for this week. Thanks again for coming on. Yeah. I love you more most. Bye.